Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and of course, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. Matt, we are here to review our second win of the season. After only four weeks, the New York Jets took down the Pittsburgh Steelers 24-20 to behind some fourth-quarter heroics by Zach Wilson uh, in his first game back from a knee injury. The defense, and specifically the safeties, really had a big game with four interceptions, two by the sa- uh, three by the safeties in total. Actually, I'm forgetting my numbers here. Uh, this has been a great game. We got another big game coming up next week against the Dolphins. We'll get into breaking down that. But let's start in Pittsburgh. Obviously, as Jets fans, we want to relish in wins as much as we can when they do happen. Yes, and this please. one was, I think, overall, but saying was we'll get into it, that there's still plenty of room for improvement. I thought this was their best game of the season so far, top to bottom. When you look at offense, defense, performance, this is the only game that they've had a lead in and one that it didn't come in the last 20 seconds. And we're actually able to build an early lead, get out to a little bit of a punch and unfortunately relinquished it, but we're able to claw back and come out on top in the end. I, I was really encouraged by what I saw, and I'm still hopeful that there's things that could be improved upon and they'll get even better. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's I, I thought that we were going to go maybe one in four at best in these uh, the first four games. So the fact that we're two and two, that was my best case scenario. Uh, so, you know, I'm ecstatic. I, I think I'm on top of the mountain right now. I'm screaming off where uh, actually have a little bit of success here. Uh, whether we could build off that success, I don't really know. But a lot of things that we were hoping could get fixed kind of did get fixed. Uh, a lot of things in the middle of the field, especially with the safeties, uh, that was something that uh, we were kind of concerned about. Like, will they just attack the center of our of the field with our linebackers and our safeties? And will they be able to expose them? And our safeties had an all world game. And I, I don't think they really expected Joyner to ever have the game that he had. Uh, and, and it's, it's just a testament to, to the way this team is kind of constructed uh, their mindset in that they are always going to want to improve. They're always going to want to build upon everything that they already have going for them. Uh, and they sure did. Uh, they, they stepped up to the plate. They answered the call. Uh, and they uh, were a major reason why we won this game. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's very encouraging that they were able to do this. Uh, but now it comes right back to where we were week one uh, when uh, after week uh, or, or after the, the, the Cleveland game, rather, uh, when we're saying, all right, we won a game in spectacular fashion. Can they build upon this? Can they deal with success? And that's uh, a good question going forward. And we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that's going to be the question. And this is going to be a, a really, really interesting game with Miami coming up, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but this game could go a lot of ways. And I don't quite honestly, I don't know if many of them are good for the jets, despite the dolphins injuries, mainly at quarterback and recently among many of other important spots, this is going to be a really interesting game because of how familiar these two coaching staffs are. So you want to be able to build off what you did and improve and get better at your core at what you're going to be doing against pretty much most of the other teams that you play all season. But when you're going against a division opponent, especially one that comes from the same coaching tree as your own coaching staff and knows them personally very well, it's a little bit different. And so I think coming off a win is really, really important, not only for confidence, not only to get everyone energized in the building, excited to get back to work and keep things going, but they already just felt what it was like to have the win and get on top of the world and have this amazing comeback and then lose it the very next week and get stopped at home by the Bengals. Now here's your redemption two weeks later. You had your big win in the fourth quarter against Pittsburgh. You got your leader back in Zach Wilson. You played a great game for the most part and an excellent, excellent finish that really led them to victory. And you're going against the division opponent, Miami Dolphins, your heated rival. It's another home game and another chance to go out and prove that, okay, you won. Now what? I think this is the best time for the Jets to be in this mindset. And credit where credit's due. You started with it, Matt. After a month, the Jets are two and two. And if you would have told me before this year started that the Jets were going to lose Zach Wilson, their top four offensive tackles, (laughs) as well as Quincy Williams. And if I'm forgetting anybody else, I'm sorry. And go two and two against the AFC North to start the year. I would have called you crazy. I don't know what the the odds would have been on that bet, but it would probably would have been plus two million. 
So credit to Robert Sala for keeping the ship steady. Credit to these players for never giving up and fighting and continuing to improve. And a win is a win. Wins are hard to come by in the NFL. The Jets have two wins out of their four games. I think that's just as good as anyone could ask for so far. Yeah, absolutely. And to I really want to drive the point home that they improved in how they won as well. Like they, it wasn't in the last two minutes. It, they were winning for pretty much the entire first half, if not the first in, uh, entire first half. They were. Uh, so Pittsburgh the, didn't have a lead until the fourth quarter. Exactly. So it, it wasn't just Zach coming alive at the end. Uh, I mean, yeah, that that is what ultimately won us the game. But at the same time, we were a talented team throughout this entire game. We looked like we belonged throughout the entire game. Uh, so that that's a huge improvement from the Cleveland game where we were kind of getting blown out of our, our socks uh, until the very end when it, everything kind of just bounced our way. Uh, that was not the case this time. And we won. And I think we really need to talk about Zach's return uh, since that was on the the tip of everybody's brain as uh, how is Zach going to look in, uh, in his first week back? Is he going to have rust? Is he going to struggle like he did in his rookie season? Is he going to persevere? Did all that uh, time off uh, actually help him? And I don't know. It's kind of a mixed bag, uh, but for the most part, I, I, I still truly don't know what we have in Zach. I don't think, we sh- it's fair to say that we should know what we have in Zach after one game of being back. It's uh, an, a, a, in fact, I would say it's not fair to, to say that. Uh, and all. it was a mixed bag, uh, a complete mixed bag. Uh, I still saw some, some aspects that uh, I was hoping not to see, uh, especially with those, uh, with these short passes uh, that are behind the, the line of scrimmage uh, or at the line of scrimmage, he still seems to be off with these throws. And I don't really know what it is. Like, why? Why? Can I tell you? Please, please. Okay. Uh, It's very, very simple. So Zach Wilson is a very talented quarterback. He is an excellent arm. He has fantastic arm talent. He does not need quote unquote. I mean, we'll use air quotes here. Quote unquote. He doesn't need his lower half to be in perfect sync for him to be able to still generate velocity and get the ball where he wants it to go. That's the theory. You have to be a super freak sort of human, like quite literally only Aaron Rodgers, maybe Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen, but I don't even know if I'd quite put them in this level of control and precision with it like Rodgers has. You got to be a super freak level of quarterback to be able to do that routinely. And so the way Zach operates is he's not getting his feet and his lower half turned toward his target when he's making those throws. He's usually, if you go to the two, you're probably thinking of Matt are the tunnel screen to Garrett Wilson. That was like three yards outside of him and skipped in the dirt. That could have been a disaster. And the wheel route, like rail kind of route to Brees Hall in the red zone that dipped at his feet. Am I remembering correctly, right? Yes. So those plays in particular, it was both the same issue. Zach is in the shotgun. He's throwing to his right. When you're throwing to your right, you have to kind of turn your whole body more than you have to when you're throwing to your left. When you're throwing to your left, you can kind of open up your left leg as a right-handed quarterback. You can open up your left leg a little more to your left, open up your hips a little little to the left. And as long as you don't do it too much and overstride, you can still usually get your hips around without having to completely turn your body and angle towards the target. It's easier to point your toe where you're needing to go. If you're a right-handed quarterback and you're throwing to your right and you move your front leg to try and point towards the target and you don't move the rest of your base to go along with you, you got your hips closed in, you got your legs crossing over, and you're not going to be in any sort of position to make a throw. So Zach is getting caught up with his legs dead because he's getting the ball out of the snap. He's throwing these quick passes. He knows they need to come out hot. And he's thinking, okay, well, I have my arm and I'll just be able to whip it with my arm. Even if I don't get my legs set or I don't completely flip my hips and he's just rushing through it. And his lower half is getting out of sync from his upper half and it's causing him to miss and miss bat. That's a really simple fix. And the fact that quite honestly, we're still seeing some of that is a little bit concerning but it's also a little bit hopeful in that maybe that's just a bad habit coming back from injury and also getting maybe 12 plays of reps in the preseason before going down with an injury. And this is your first opportunity in the game playing outside of practice since the beginning of August. That's the hope. And if that's something that he can dial in on, 
it's very simple to just catch the snap once you're in the gun and just hop, shift your base a little bit, plant your feet and drive. His release is still lightning quick. The ball comes out of his hand like a pellet gun. He doesn't need to rush these throws. He doesn't need to to worry about, okay, I got to get the ball out. It's going to be a quick window. I want to give my guy room to catch and run. And that's also what he's trying to do with it. He's trying to put it a little more ahead of them. That's why both of those throws were out ahead of their receivers. He's trying to let them kind of run into the ball and then catch it and stride and take it up the field. But he's rushing. He's not getting his lower half in sync, and it's causing him to miss. All he has to do is just shift his base before he throws and it's going to be a completion and they're going to be big plays. So I'm hoping that it's just rust and not a, the sign of a bigger problem. Yeah. Uh, another thing I, I was hoping that would improve, uh, which didn't really plague him throughout the game. Uh, it was more just the instance with the, the Conklin interception uh, where he has a tendency to sail passes uh, and they go a little high and Conklin's a big tight end. So the fact that he sailed one to Conklin a little bit, uh, was a little troubling. I feel like he's done it a lot more in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like that was really the only instance that I really saw this happen. It might've happened one or two other times. Uh, but of course, in this case, it resulted in an interception. Uh, of course, Conklin should come down with that pass. Uh, he gets paid to come down with those passes. It hit him in the hands. Uh, but at the same time, I want to see a lot less of that. Uh, and I think we have a little bit. Uh, and again, this is his first game back. I don't expect everything to be complete fixed, a a complete 180 from last year. Uh, It's going to take time. Uh, And he's, he's got the, as long as he can stay healthy, he has the time to do it. We still have a large portion of the season left for him to improve upon every single thing that we're complaining about right now. And I hope to see it. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think that that interception off Conklin's hands, I think that's what really woke Zach Wilson up against the Steelers, quite honestly, because he threw it high because he threw it sidearm. Yeah. And he's in the pocket and there's a little bit of pressure. It's not like he's getting immediately smoked. It's not like anyone's been shed from their blocks and he has defenders coming free at him, but there's a little bit of congestion. It's kind of closing in on him. And I believe it's Nate Herbig who was playing right guard, gets a little bit of a bull rush into him and he's kind of getting walked back a little bit. And so Zach doesn't have a ton of room to really step into it as much and kind of really stand tall and throw over the top. Zach isn't much of an over the top thrower. Anyway, if you watch his release, it's very, very tight. He really doesn't raise the ball too high. You know, he keeps it kind of lower towards his middle of his uh, torso and it's just out. Doesn't even go past higher than his ear and it comes out like a missile cross over his body. It's excellent throwing mechanics but he isn't going to be the type of guy that's going to be like Peyton Manning where he's behind the line and he's reaching all the way over and the ball's two feet over his head when it's coming out. So he's getting pressured and he throws this little sidearm throw to Conklin and it sails on him because he throws a sidearm. And I think after that, you watch him, especially in the fourth quarter, that might've been the best I've ever seen him handle maneuvering in the pocket. And I want to talk about his ability to escape sacks. That's a different thing. And we'll get there because I thought he was excellent at that too in this beginning of the game. But just in terms of stepping up in the pocket, feeling pressure, being comfortable, having people close in around you and not having a lot of room to throw and making throws anyway, there was a handful of plays that he made on those last two drives that were like all pro quarterback level stuff that were like, that's what Joe Burrow does that makes Joe Burrow so lethal that the Jets just got beat by the week before. That's what Aaron Rodgers did for so many years in Green Bay where he can stand there with four people biting at his ankles and no room to step into the throw and is still able to get it out, find an arm slot, the ball comes out perfect, and it's a big play. There was some excellent, excellent, excellent stuff from Zach Wilson in this fourth quarter in terms of his ability to play from the pocket, and I'm hoping that's what we take and carry on from this game because if he can really dial in that element along with his ability to break sacks, quite honestly, that a lot of other quarterbacks would be dead to rights. And his, he's somehow able to avoid a negative play, even if it turns into a throwaway. Turning sacks into throwaways is a positive, too. His ability to do that, combined with the potential ability to play from the pocket the way he did in that fourth quarter, that's why the Jets took him second overall. That's why I'm so encouraged by this game. Absolutely. Uh, but a lot of the reason why he was able to maneuver in the pocket more in the fourth quarter is because the offensive line also held up a little bit better. Credit where it's due. Absolutely. 
but in the rest of the game, the offensive line was pretty horrendous. He was he was pretty much on the run a, a good amount of time whenever he dropped back. Uh, and yeah, he was made, he was really forced into a position where he had to make plays on with his feet. Uh, and yeah, I would love to see a lot more of him uh, doing those uh, those backyard football plays, but also making the completion. I feel like way too often he's yeah. making these incredible uh, plays where he's dodging sacks left and right, but at the same time, it usually results in nothing. Uh, it, sometimes it does. Uh, uh, the play to to Davis last year against Tennessee uh, is one or uh, the one that gets Miami last year as well. Yep. So he's definitely capable of doing it. Uh, I'd love for him to hit, have a higher hit rate. Uh, I hope it comes, uh, but right now he's just not there, but you know what? The fact that he's able to do it in the first place, that's the hard part. Uh, oh yeah. The, the, com- the completions that should come later. Yeah, no, the completions are gravy that that's icing. Like I agree that you would absolutely love to see him turn it into big plays and really do damage with it the way that he did at BYU and the way that some of the best quarterbacks in the league do. But the fact that he can do it in the first place, that's an unteachable skill that you either have that or you don't like that's there's I don't know how you're supposed to teach a quarterback who's bad at feeling pressure and getting out of would be sacks that should be taken down and whether it's being strong and huge and just running through people and shrugging them off or being slippery and elusive and quick, kind of like how Zach is. I, I, I don't know how you teach that. I don't think you can quite honestly. So the fact that he has that ability to him and, and call me crazy, Matt, but you know who he reminds me of in a way with, with his ability to get out of sacks and make people miss and, and kind of ex- really be an explosive athlete. He moves like Kyler Murray in the pocket. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Very like yeah, very athletic and just really. They're hard always to bring in down. base to throw, but they're running like four eight, <laughs> and yeah, and it's it's like they don't look like they're running that fast, or they don't look like they, they look like they should be brought down, and somehow they're able to just arm slides off the ankle and steps out of it, or I duck under like against the Jags last year, where he's got a free pressure off his backside, and, and a guy's coming right up on top of him, and he's just able to. Duck, skip out of it. I'm up, I'm up, didn't bring me down, gets around the corner and runs for 50 yards. It, unteachable is what I'm going to keep saying. You you build off that sort of talent. You take that talent and you teach them, now, okay, you're out, look up field. You teach your receivers, always be, never give up on a play, always be ready to come back for the ball because this guy might get out of a disaster and need to find a target. You know, that'll come with time, but, but his ability, nothing flashed more for me in this game than his ability but I did see a lot from his development that made me really, really encouraged too, especially coming back from an injury, especially having not played yet this year, and especially on a tough uh, environment like the Steelers. I know their defense statistically hasn't been playing that well, but that's still a good defense. They still have a lot of great players on that defense. Mike Tomlin's still a really good coach, and it's hard to win there. That's the second time the Jets have ever won in Pittsburgh, ever. And it took a Zach Wilson fourth quarter comeback to do it. That stands for something. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a testament to these coaches, to these players, uh, to really pull it together and have a team win uh, against, yeah, uh, even if they're down, a good opponent. Uh, yeah, there's was, was a lot to be encouraged by and a lot to build off of. There really was. There really was. And I also think on the way to end before we get into Miami, there was a lot of missed opportunities that could have made this game even better. And, and you know, I started this by saying this was, I thought, their best complete game of the season so far. Quite honestly, it wasn't that high of a bar to clear. (laughs) So, yes, was this their most complete game? Absolutely. But there was still plenty of missed opportunities where the run, the run blocking is still not there. We're still waiting to see Lakin Tomlinson live up to his paycheck. And I'm starting to worry that we're not going to. Um, ABT played really well at left tackle from having never been there, but still didn't seem like they were able to generate many chunk yards even after they got a lead early and they were trying to lean on their run game. It really kind of faltered. You have, uh, this was the killer for me, Matt. We were talking about this before air, the interception before the half where you're up 10 to three and you're in the red zone and you're looking at an opportunity to score a touchdown, have it be late in the half, get the ball back to start the second half. And if you score another touchdown, it's 24 to three and you're, you're dog walking the Pittsburgh Steelers in one half you get into a a missed opportunity with an interception and we were talking about it before air. Like I said, 
It's a deep over from Jeff Smith. Elijah Moore is running what should be either a curl or a clear out to the left. Smith's coming all the way from the right. Steelers are playing man coverage. And this one isn't on Zach. This was either awful play design from Michael Floor and what I really think it is, or Elijah Moore running a really bad route, a lazy route, a, a mm-hmm. route that's that's showing I'm not being, don't think I'm going to get targeted on this play, so I'm not going to try. That is a problem, and I did not expect that from somebody like Elijah Moore. I would expect more out of him. I would expect him to be the guy who wants to be running the clear outs, who, you know, from all indications, he's an excellent teammate, and I don't think anything less than less than that or anything else, but he runs what, is either a streak or uh, uh, some sort of terrible comeback, whatever it is, it's bad. He starts releasing vertically. He's running full speed. He gets about 12 yards up the field, just turns around and looks for the ball and starts jogging. Jogs for like six seconds. Cornerback is sitting there on top of him in man coverage. Moore starts slowing down and looking for the ball. Well, his eyes go to Zach Wilson to see if the ball's coming. The ball doesn't come. So he's already starting to slow down and transition and get ready for a throw. Ball's not coming he sees Zach looking towards Jeff Smith on the over coming from all the way across the field and goes, Oh, that's where the ball's going. And I'm standing right here, right in the middle of the throwing lane. I'm just going to go intercept this ball. And that's what he did. If Elijah Moore runs his route correctly, which in theory, Matt, as we were talking about, it should be a curl route because that would give more space behind him for the over to come in. If it's man coverage, And if it's a streak and a go route, then I don't really like that they're doing it in the red zone because there's not going to be much more room to clear out vertically above the over route as opposed to underneath the uh, over route. Either way, it doesn't matter whether it was a curl or a streak and whether it was a well-designed play from Michael Floor or a poorly designed play from Michael Floor. It's an interception because it was a lazy route by Elijah Moore. Yeah. And and if that's the the takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. there's the spacing is very they're right on top of each other they're within right. five yards it seems of each other. it's too bad to be intentional to me yeah uh if if more truly does run a good curl route that's a first down easily uh the fact that i i, I truly don't know what was in, was going on in Moore's head while watching this and uh, yeah i i expect more uh no pun intended but at, at the same time uh, I don't know what to what to say about this because we we know Moore is not the kind of guy that will do this on a play by play basis. So I'm gonna chalk this up to you know just a mistake, and he'll learn from it. Yeah, yeah. I would hope that that's the lesson, which is like this is the one time I got in my feelings and speculating here. I don't know anything for sure, but the one time he gets in his feelings and decides to run a lazy route because he thinks he's gonna be the clear out guy. And it leads to an interception. That's why you do your job on every play. That's why the NFL is so tough. This is the other thing, Matt. And I hope now that you have the play pulled up, you can see what I was talking about. We praised Zach a lot earlier, deservingly so for how well he played. But there was also plenty of room for improvement, too. I thought he had two interceptions in this game, both of which I think you could argue weren't necessarily his fault. You have one that hit Conklin in the hands, like we said, and then you had the other to Elijah Moore. That's definitely not his fault. And I thought he probably had maybe two or three other plays in this game that could have been interceptions that weren't and that were lucky as well. And so it kind of goes both ways. But in this play particular on the interception to Moore, Garrett Wilson's in the slot running an over route the other way and gets absolutely wide open immediately. Cooks his man off the snap like it's nothing. That little classic stutter hop release that he's done every time he's been lined up in the slot is so lethal. And I don't know how you're supposed to cover it if you have to leverage to the inside and out. There's there's no way you can't freeze your feet as a DB. And if you freeze your feet for a quarter of a second against Garrett Wilson, you're dead. He gets wide open, and Zach never even looks at him. And so this is to me is where. If I'm Zach and I'm growing in the future, I'm knowing the type of guy that I have at receiver. If I'm Zach Wilson and I know Garrett Wilson's running a deep over route against man coverage from the slot, screw the progression. My eyes are going to him the second the ball is snapped. And if he cooks his man immediately, that's where I'm going with the ball. That's what veteran quarterbacks do. Like we talked about. Last week, Matt, we need to talk about these players thinking for themselves and finding exploitable matchups. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I don't think Michael Floor is ever going to be mad that Zach Wilson threw a wide open ball to Garrett Wilson, whether it was number one, two, three in the progression or whether his eyes should have been there or not. 
if it's open, it's open. And when you have a guy that's this dangerous, you have to be keying on him as much as you possibly can. You can't waste these opportunities. That's what we saw from Flacco. And that's what was killer from Flacco as a veteran is that he should know better. I'm really hoping that Zach is the type of guy where that's going to eat at him. And he's going to go, I threw an interception on a, on the same play that could have set us up 17 to three and, and had us cruising without even having to make a fourth quarter comeback. And I would have been king for the entire day, let alone, you know, the comeback or anything else. I'm, I'm really hoping that's where we see improvement is the identity of what you have on this offense. Because for the first time in as long as I can remember since maybe 2015, the Jets offense is downright dangerous. They have so much skill talent now, it's impossible to cover everyone. And when you get guys like Garrett Wilson, favorable matchups the way Michael Floor likes to do, you got to be able to take advantage of that when they give it to you for free. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see the difference between Flacco and Zach. Uh, I feel like Flacco definitely did key on Wilson a lot more uh, and kind of let more uh, out on islands by himself. And a lot of times more would get open and he would just miss him. Uh, and that was kind of the opposite. I feel like Zach had, maybe has a little bit more comfort with uh, with more and maybe flipped it a little and targeted him more. Uh, looked to him a little bit more than than Wilson, who was getting open a lot, who gets open a lot. He's been getting open a lot from day one. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, he starts to realize what he has in front of him, uh, and learns to utilize them all to, to their, uh, uh, most, uh, the, the potential. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's my biggest thing growing from Zach Wilson in the season. That's going to be my, one of my barometers for how is he progressing? Is he becoming a veteran or is he still in that rookie quarterback mindset where he's got all these things to learn? You got you got something special in number 17. You got something really, really special in number 17. And if anyone is going to be dumb enough to give him man coverage, make them pay for it. That's what I want to see out of this offense. And I really think it'll happen soon. Let's talk about the defense real quick, because we spent a lot of time talking about the offense, rightfully so. But we did have a good performance from the defense overall, even though I do think there are some areas to improve. And one in particular that I think we saw as a bit of a problem when Trubisky was in and definitely a problem when Kenny Pickett came in. We got to get our contain on the edge better. We got to get better at containing quarterbacks in the pocket and finishing sacks on top of that. The, the Jets got a good bit of pressure in this game as opposed to a couple of weeks before, but it still wasn't enough in my opinion. And they had too many opportunities where they were getting home and they just weren't finishing. That's really got to improve. And against a guy like Teddy, uh, Teddy Bridgewater in Miami this week, Teddy can move. He's mobile. He's going to have his eyes downfield. He's going to be looking to make big plays. If you give up contain on him, he can damage you just like any other mobile quarterback can. So I'm I'm really hoping we see an improvement up front in terms of keeping quarterbacks in the pocket and bringing them down when they get the opportunity to. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we, we can't. I, I can't tell you how many times against the Bengals uh, we saw Burrow pr- pretty much look dead to rights uh, and then just squirm out of it and somehow looked like he wasn't even touched, no matter how many people were around him. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's things like that that enrages me. It, it, get your hands on these quarterbacks, put them on the ground. Uh, we need to finish more. Uh, I definitely saw a, a lot of good also from Quinnen, who looks like he's having uh, probably his best season so far. Freak of uh, nature. Freak of nature. Uh, JJ flashed uh, a little bit. He he came out there uh, with guns firing. I feel like he needs uh, some more snaps. And guess what? Huff. Huff. As soon as he's on, every single time he was on the field. Yep. He made his presence known. We said before the, the game how we want to see Huff. Uh, playing, uh, uh, just playing, never mind getting snaps. And every single snap that he was out there, he showed up. Uh, I, I think it was a huge mistake to have him benched as long as he was. And I hope that he sees a lot more going forward. Oh, I think this could be a huge game for Bryce Huff coming up against the Dolphins. I, I really do. Because, yes, the Dolphins want to be, you know, a run first team. But they're more of like, we want to run to the edges. We want to run wide. We want to we want to sweep you. We want to pitch you. We want to get our speed at running back to the edge and give them a lane. They're not trying to run power or trap or anything like that, like the Browns and Ravens were, where you got to get guys on the inside that can stack and shed and two gap. I think this could be a big game for Bryce Huff. Bryce Huff, just by the numbers and by the tape, and this is where I'll say I can – 
attest to whatever grading system decided this, that at least on my eyes, it matched this. He had like a 45% win rate on his 10 pass rush snaps. So that's basically almost half. He got 10 yeah. opportunities to rush the passer. They all came on third and long situations and he got pressure on like four of them. And he was getting close on a handful of others. That is some ridiculous productivity. The tape, the tape absolutely matches that 110%. Sure he drew some penalties as well. Did he draw a penalty? I, th- I think I there was think at least. He I th- might I saw have drew a hand a hold. to the face. Uh, that, or, that's what or it was. No, it was uh, a hands to the face. You're right. So, yeah, even that one play where he didn't make that much of an impact with his rushing ability, he still made right. an impact. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it, it it's a huge thing going forward to put our best guys in this in the position to be on the field at, uh, at all times, uh, especially at edge where we have this much talent and to go to guys like Martin who haven't really flashed as much uh, or even uh, has uh, is Curry back yet? Or Curry just started practicing this week. Yeah, I if, don't know if he is back yet, but if he is back, I don't see any reason in playing him over Bryce Huff anyway. Exactly. I think that Huff has earned his place. Uh, I thought he earned his place even before this year. I, I thought think. so too. So uh, going forward, just play Huff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he needs to be part of the rotation. There's He's too talented not to be. And that's the point of having a rotation is to get a lot of supposedly talented guys all together and keep them as fresh as possible so that when it's late in the game and you need players to go out and win and the offensive lineman's tired from playing every snap on offense, that you got a a defender like Bryce Huff who only is going to rush the passer 10 times, but he's going to get pressure on half of them. That's the perfect role for him, and I would like to see it continue. I'd like to see him play a little more than that you know, entirely, to be quite honest, but if he is just going to be playing as a pass rush specialist, you could do a lot worse than Bryce Huff as a pass rush specialist. Absolutely. All right, Matt, let's get to the Dolphins game. Looking ahead uh, to what I think is going to be the best from an entertainment perspective, Jets game so far, not counting the last minute and a half of the Cleveland Browns game. Because I don't think you can count the whole Browns game. It was a great game, but it was really great at that last few minutes. The handful of minutes before that were not so fun. This game in particular, I think, can be really, really interesting. And I alluded to it earlier. Coaching staffs that know each other inside and out. Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, was basically Mike LaFleur's co-offensive coordinator in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan didn't have an offensive coordinator that was listed. He had Mike LaFleur, who was his pass game specialist, and he had Mike McDaniel, who was his run game specialist. The co- The three of them collectively would work together to build the game plan. Kyle would call the plays on Sundays, get feedback from them in the game as well. And that's how they did their offense. Robert Sala was the defense coordinator on the 49ers for all the years that Michael Floor was there as well. And for one year shorter than Mike McDaniel was in San Francisco. They're all best friends. They all talk like they're friends because they are. They were coaching together for so long, and they're all in the same familiar tree on being the same team in San Francisco that was very successful while they were there. You have a guy in Mike McDaniel that's the head coach of the Miami Dolphins that knows the Jets' offense and defense forwards, backwards, and sideways. That's not good. That's really, really (laughs) not good. Now, conversely, you have a head coach in Robert Sala that knows Mike McDaniel's offense forwards, backwards, and sideways, but he doesn't know Josh Boyer's defense the same way that Mike McDaniel knows Robert Sala's defense. So there's a bit of an advantage from the Dolphins perspective in that they know everything the Jets are going to do. And the Jets know most of what the Dolphins are going to do. So starting off with this game, offense or defense be damned. I think this applies to the whole team. If you're the New York Jets and you go into this game against a Mike McDaniel coached Miami Dolphins team that has already proven to be very talented, very explosive, and kind of shocking the NFL with how good they've been over the first four games. If you go into this game, regardless of who they have at quarterback and regardless of the injuries that they may have on their roster, and you do not adjust from what is expected of you, or you try and go to your same old bread and butter, bread and butter, and hit the same well over and over and don't be creative and do something new. You will lose this game as the New York jets. There's no argument about it because I guarantee Mike McDaniel is not the type of coach that is going to come out on Sunday and do 
everything the exact same way that he's done it before and the exact same way that they did it in San Francisco. So the Jets know exactly how to defend it. So let me ask no you this. chance in hell. Yeah, go ahead. What would you change? What? How would you come out and show something different? What is this I difference think, maker? I, I think there's, and this is the thing where it goes beyond just knowing knowing the system and knowing the core plays and everything else, I think it becomes tendency breakers because they're going to know most of the playbook already. That's there's no defeating that you can't be drawn up. You can try to create some new plays. Sure. But you can only do so many of those in a week. I think you change your tendency. If I'm the jets, I'm coming out and I'm trying to hit the quick game short pass to set up the run. And I'm going to wait to be deep shot play action under center run inside or under center run to the edge and play action after that as we've tried to set up the run game, I think you do it completely completely opposite. I think the Dolphins' defense likes to play a lot of off coverage. I think they like to play a lot of cover zero and blitz, and they have their corners very far back saying, okay, we'll come up and we'll rally and tackle, and that way they have a cushion if they go deep. That's got a lot of room for the receivers to run through. They're hoping the pressure can get home before that. It's not the only thing they do, but it's a common thing they do. I think you have the receiving talent to beat that man coverage. And I think you have the receiving talent to break some tackles if they get the ball with a handful of yards of space. So I'm throwing short passes. I'm not trying to set the run early. I'm not trying to, to, to go right up the middle of this defense and, and be the Jets that we've seen on early down so far this year, which is just run inside on first down, get into second and nine, throw an incomplete pass. Now it's third and nine. What do you do? You can't do that. You can't. There's There's no way you'll be successful. So throw some quick passes, get the quick game going. I know it's not where Zach Wilson's been his best, but at some point he's got to get good at it. Otherwise he's not going to be a successful NFL quarterback. Establish some quick game, make the Dolphins have to cheat up a little bit so that you're not just getting all these yards for free underneath. If they don't just keep hitting it all day. And if they do, that's when I think you can try and establish the run game because you're going to have the Dolphins thinking pass you might have them shift out of their man coverage, shift into uh, some more of a softer zone look. They might bring a safety back. You might have less in the box. Your run game might be better. Then once your run game starts being effective, now you can run your bread and butter play action concepts because the linebackers will actually be falling for it. They'll have a reason to come up and defend the run instead of just sucking up for no reason. That's what damned the Steelers last week is that the Jets couldn't run the ball and their linebackers were still screaming downhill on every play action anyway. And the Jets were just throwing behind them over the middle over and over. I don't think the Dolphins defense is going to do that. I think they're smarter than that. So I really think you have to completely flip and 180 your tendencies on what you like to do to start a game and how you want to set up your offense. Defensively, I think it's similar to how it was against Cincinnati. You got to disguise your coverage. And I don't think it's just come out and completely change your calls and draw something up, but don't show them that you're running the same old cover three that you've run for seven years. Disguise it beforehand. Make them check into a different play that isn't the right play. Being predictable is how you lose this game, in my opinion, as simply as I can put it, regardless of how it shows itself up, you know, offense, defense, or whatever. Any sort of predictability. If this is Robert Sala's Jets and they do the exact same thing that they always do, I don't think they're going to win at all. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely see that. The, the familiarity factor, uh, I think, will have an impact. Uh, and right now, I, I don't think I could say that our coaching staff has really outcoached anyone, uh, probably in the entirety that they've been here. Uh, so if this comes down to who's going to outcoach the other one in throwing some throwing a wrinkle at the other guy that they haven't seen that they're not expecting, I don't really expect our guys to be the ones to do it. I I fully uh, expect the the Dolphins to be the ones that really have. Uh, the the upper hand, especially in, in this area. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see a lot of crossers because if they are going to be blitzing us a lot, it's going to leave a lot of guys on island in man coverage. And I want to see short crossers, le- le- nicely leveled crossers too. I don't want to yep. see guys all on top of each other uh, and, and really have these guys uh, – make these corners work for it. And right now, maybe Xavier Howard might not be playing. We're not sure yet. Uh, they have a lot of guys on, on the injury report. Uh, Howard hasn't practiced for two days straight with a groin injury. Uh, so if he's not there, that's that's big. Uh, that, that's their best quarterback right now. 
that's not a slot corner. Uh, who, who is their slot corner right now? That uh, He seems to be – I keep seeing that people say that Sauce is probably the defensive rookie of the year, but then I see look at the Dolphins' slot corner. Seems to actually be having a much better year. Uh, I'm honestly not 100% sure. I'm going to go double-check. Just give me one quick second, and I will tell you. At the same time, the opportunities are there. We can definitely take advantage of the fact that maybe they are down uh, some stars. Uh, they, If they are missing, uh, the, the, especially Howard, we can take advantage, of, especially with our star power. Uh, you, you have guys like Wilson and Moore who get open routinely, even against healthy uh, cornerbacks. So if they can take advantage of, against banged up guys, even better. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the Dolphins injuries as a whole, I, I think, is definitely a point to monitor. When you're just looking at this team, I'll go through their uh, their injury report from today's practice being Thursday. Tackle Teron Armstead out. Big deal. Obviously, you have Xavier Howard is dealing with a groin didn't practice for Wednesday or yes, uh, yesterday or today. Tyreek Hill was limited with a groin. You had Jalen Waddell, who had another groin injury, didn't practice yesterday, practiced today on Thursday. There's a ton of guys on their injury report, crucial players. Their left tackle, one of their best corners, one of their best receivers, obviously their quarterback, you know, one of their tight ends. Um, Zach Seiler, a backup uh, offensive lineman, is hurt. Tanner Connor, their tight end, like I said. They have a handful of issues. If you're the Jets, you're hoping that you can capitalize and be the more talented team. That's where I think being creative is going to help you. Because if you're unexpected, you're having guys that might have to play, they're going to be looking for the bread and butter because that's what Mike McDaniel is going to be keying them in on. That's what he knows best. They're not going to be expecting the unexpected. And I'm really, really hopeful that growing in the future that this can be a a hope for this offense to be more creative because I really think it comes down to offensively. I think defensively, there's not going to be so much you can do. I think that's going to be really tough. But I think offensively, you can really do some things that are unexpected, especially now that your quarterback is back healthy and make a big game of it. Their slot corner, I think, if I'm getting my information correctly, uh, is Kader Kohu, who's a rookie who's from Texas A&M Commerce, uh, probably a late-round draft pick who apparently is playing well. Noah Igbenogany got benched, apparently. What a a first-round pick he was. Um, good job dolphins um yeah their secondary is hurting they have a great great safety in javon holland nothing against him but even if Xavier howard does play he's really not doing too well statistically this year matt he's like fifth in total yards allowed by corners i think he's first in touchdowns allowed he's allowing like 12.9 yards a catch he's given up like 23 catches so far you know it, it really hasn't been that good of a season for him anyway even if he is going to be playing, but if he isn't, I'd still imagine that he's better than whoever the Dolphins backup is going to be. And that's going to be an opportunity for big plays. I also think like we were saying earlier to flip to the other side of the ball, no Teron Armstead is gigantic for this game. If he can't play, that would be huge. And the fact that he's got a toe injury and hasn't practiced for two days, I don't, doesn't seem likely that would be absolutely huge. He has been a, a huge help in stabilizing their offensive line coming over from New Orleans. The Dolphins had a, a plethora of pass blocking issues for years uh, going before this season. And now you add in somebody like a Teron Armstead who really solidified that left tackle spot. If he can't play, I don't know who their backup left tackle probably is. Probably Austin Jackson. It probably is Austin Jackson. And well, Bradley, <laughs> so let's call Bradley and I up from the practice squad because Bradley and I absolutely victimized Austin Jackson in college when Anai was at Utah and Austin Jackson was at USC. We'll keep him as a reserve just for this game. And just and if Austin Jackson is the left tackle, then we'll just unleash Bradley and I and see if we can get some scoop and scores. There we go. <laughs> uh, I think, I, I think we got a solid point. along that offensive line that Eichenberg, who's not been great and Greg's their left guard also yeah. not good. Uh so if it it I think the only guy that's kind of oh you got two guys that are kind of reliable with Robert Hunt and Connor Williams. Uh but um, hey was, sorry but I just noticed this um it's not Austin Jackson Matt Austin Jackson's on IR. Oh is it so then who the hell is it? So their current backup left tackle is Greg Little their right tackle. Oh so, okay so then 
the right tackle would probably be uh, who else? Uh, Larnell. They Coleman. don't have. They have three <laughs> tackles. Know. I'm seeing three tackles on their active roster. And so they're going to have to call Armstead, somebody up. Jackson, and Little. So if Teron Armstead can't play, they're going to have to call up a practice squad player. That's an opportunity for the Jets. That's an opportunity for Bryce Huff. That's an opportunity for Jermaine Johnson. That's an opportunity for Carl Lawson. If there's ever a game for the defensive line to take over and win the game outright and dominate the line of scrimmage, it's this game. And I really think it's it's hugely important. If the defensive line doesn't have a huge game, it's going to be tough, tough sledding defensively against all this speed. See, but here's the thing. What the way that we're salivating looking at their offensive line and what we could be facing, uh, they could do the same exact thing to us looking at our offensive line and looking at how they blitz with almost the reckless abandonment. Uh, it, it, I, I almost put both sides at the same uh disadvantage here. Yeah, no, neither neither offensive line for the Jets or the Dolphins is in particularly good order right now. Uh, we don't know who the Jets tackles are going to be because Dwayne Brown, I guess, is going to be a game time decision. This will be his first week of practice coming back from his shoulder injury. If he is playing, I would suspect that he would play left tackle. Would that mean AVT moves to his second straight week in a new position and one that he's never played before at all in right tackle? Or does that mean that McDermott gets the start at right tackle and AVT moves to right guard? I don't know how that's going to shake out. If Brown can't play, I don't know if AVT is going to stay at left tackle. I think it logically, at this point, you moved him, keep him there. If Dwayne Brown can't go, then I don't see any reason why not to play AVT. But this is a really, really interesting conundrum that, that they are going to have to figure out. And the Dolphins pass rush is no joke. Melvin Ingram's having a huge year as a veteran. Jalen Phillips is coming on really well. They have Raekwon Davis inside. Their linebackers are effective in their blitzing. Javon Holland, like I said earlier, is a great safety. He's also a great blitzer. They send him off the edge a ton. There's going to be pressure unless Mike McDaniel does the unexpected and says the Jets offensive line is in disarray. Why do we need to be blitzing? And I think you could see the Dolphins switch into a coverage defense. They did that in the second half against the Bills, and it won them the game. Like you were saying, Matt, they were getting that cover zero, and Buffalo was throwing shallow crossers and running away with it. No problem. Beating that defense for breakfast. They switched to more of a a drop-off cover two-based sort of zone defense in the second half, and it really slowed the Bills' offense down. I think you could see something similar this week from the Dolphins defense where as much as you could be expecting that blitz look and that cover zero, and you're still probably going to get it a couple of times. I don't know if it's going to be their bread and butter like it would be in most weeks. Yeah, I could definitely see them changing it up, especially with that. Uh, I was reading something about uh, Zach's presser today uh, where he's talking about having Brown back and he says, yeah, it feels great to have him back. So I don't know if that, if he uh, accidentally let that out of the bag that he might be, uh, a, a go for this week's game. Uh, but yeah, either way, uh, we need to just stick to what we know. The, this offensive line has been banged up uh, and they've been moved around, especially in AVT's case. Hats off to him for being the Iron Man that he is and ability to play every position along that line. Uh, they definitely solidified themselves in the fourth quarter against the Steelers, uh, but we need a full game of that. We can't just put it on Zach's shoulders to to play that backyard football all game, uh, especially against a talented defense like the Dolphins, because I feel like they're too good and they'll be able to take advantage of that. Uh, and probably a lot more mistakes would happen. Uh, he definitely got lucky a few times against the Steelers. Maybe those times are converted this time. Uh, I They need to really just figure out what their identity is and stick to it. Yeah, that's going to be key. It's going to be figuring out what they do best, figuring out how they can keep adding variations to it to trick teams into not realizing that they're doing what they do best and hitting their usual plays in every game except a game like this. And that's where I think this game is going to be so tough. And if you're ready, Matt, I think we can lead right into predictions this way where I'll come right out and say it. I think the Jets are losing this week. I I really do not see a way with the offensive line the way that it is and with what we know from this Jets coaching staff to implement a game plan that's going to be a 180 that's going to catch McDaniel off guard 
and I don't necessarily so much think that McDaniel's going to do so much that's going to catch the Jets off guard. I think the Jets are going to be too simple and McDaniel's not going to have to. And Jeff Ulbrick said something in his press conference today that I was listening to before we started recording. And quite honestly, I don't even dislike this quote. And I actually think it makes sense from a logical theoretical standpoint, but he was talking about for defending the dolphins, specifically defending all of their speed and defending, you know, Tyreek and Waddle and, and Raheem Mostert are running back and Kaseki at tight end. And, and he called them unprecedentedly fast uh, as a team, Un, unmatchably fast, I believe is what it was. And he was saying, we're going to stay in more of our, our basic coverages and more of our zones and, and be ready for what we are going to be ready for. And yes, we might be predictable, but if we are predictable, then it's also becomes pretty predictable and how we're going to get attacked as a defense. And so we can key in on those plays and how we're going to be attacked specifically and really focus in on those and limit those two as best we can. Good idea and concept makes, makes logical sense. Quite honestly, that if you're going to show the same thing and there's going to be a couple of standard answers for it, then key in on those standard answers and make everything else beat you the hard way. Yeah, I get it. That's different when you're talking about defending Tyreek Hill. That's different when you're talking about defending Jalen Waddle, even a slow Jalen Waddle. It still runs probably faster than most healthy receivers in the NFL. And I really trust that Mike McDaniel is going to do just enough to keep the Jets defense on their toes. And then once they get back into their base principles, I think he's going to know how to dice it up just as good as anybody else. And as much as I am hoping for improvement, I think this is going to be a game where the Jets overall play really, really well. But I think the Dolphins coaching staff is going to be what wins them this game, despite their injuries and despite their quarterback. I am going 21-20 Dolphins. This was the same score I picked last week with a Jets win. It was very close to my prediction where I said fourth quarter magic from uh, from Zach and the Jets will come back and win 21-20. I'm thinking it's going to be the other way flip this week. And you're going to see a Teddy Bridgewater heartbreaker on a late field goal or something with the Dolphins coaching staff and Mike McDaniel in particular, just getting his guys in space, drawing up the right plays for this defense and the Jets offense, just not quite doing enough to keep things out of reach. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm going to stick with you with it comes to saying that they're going to lose. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as close uh, I think our offensive line woes are going to be highlighted uh, by their defense. I think they're going to take full advantage and not just full advantage. I think they're going to be able to hit home with just their four man rush. Uh, so they don't even need to send the house. I think they'll be able to do enough just by doing that to limit our offense. And that's going to really neuter our ability to score. Uh, I think we're going to be kind of, we're going to be pretty low scoring on our end. Uh, so I'm going to say we're going to maybe score 15. Then it's just a matter of how much they're going to score. Uh, I think we're going to do okay at limiting their their weapons, uh, but I don't think we'll be able to stop them altogether. Uh, so I don't see them blowing us out with a 30-burger, but uh, I still see them scoring maybe around 24. So 24-15 Dolphins. I, I could very well see that happening uh, too. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. And quite honestly, before we end, even though we both picked Jets losses, I don't think it's that crazy for them to win this game either. Awesome, I yeah. think there there is a path for them to win this game. I think if their receivers continue to ball out and dice up these soft cor- uh, corners from the Dolphins, I think regardless of if they're sending four or not, if you're going to have open men and Zach can hit them with his quick release and be on time and accurate, we saw what they can do. We saw the damage that can be done and how quickly this offense can get down the field and get in the end zone. Absolutely. If this game becomes a shootout, though, I think they're screwed. And that's kind of where um, I'm worried is I trust McDaniel to draw up 17 different screens and reverses and pitches to Tyreek to generate yards with a bad offensive line. And I trust Mike Mc, Mike LaFleur to run inside the tackles on first down every time behind Lake and Tomlinson for <laughs> negative one. That's oh, that's, that's so the difference for me. It's so frustrating. And even in this game, I think we saw a little more commitment to the past. But quite honestly, I think it took them getting down 10 points in the fourth quarter to do it. And then once they were down and it's kind of like the OK, well, now we have to throw balls to the wall, screw the game plan. Let's go get down the field. All of a sudden they start getting down the field. So I'm I need to see it to believe it. 
Is there a way the Jets can win this game? Absolutely. The Dolphins are injured. They have a backup quarterback. They're on the road. They're coming off a demoralizing loss against the Bengals where their quarterback got hurt. They're dealing with an internal investigation over how they're handling their quarterback's concussion. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in South Beach right now that could be distracting. But if I'm trying to be as, as you know, non-biased as I can and analytical as possible, and I'm looking at this game from a schematical football knowledge standpoint, it screams Dolphins win to me. Yeah. You know what? You just mentioned the controversy, the controversy and the troubles off the field. Uh, at the same time, when is that? that, that what, what's new? <laughs> I feel like that's just par for the course for Miami. Uh, right. I, I think it's going to come down to coaching. And I just haven't seen enough from our coaches to think that they're going to be able to get this team ready to handle the success of winning two games in a row, especially at home. I feel like whenever we're at home, they just let everybody down. I, I, I'm just expecting a letdown here. Yeah. And I think to, to quantify what you're saying about them playing at home, the Jets are awful when they have expectations placed on them. When they get to play free and they're the underdog, they're great. When they're on the, the hostile environment, and no one believes in them and and they're only there for each other and they want to go silence that crowd. They're great when they're expected to do well. That's when trouble starts seeming to happen. So this is going to be an important game where, quite honestly, Matt, I could very easily see us coming in to review this game next week, reviewing a loss and yet being very happy and encouraged by what we saw anyway. That, that yeah, I feel like that's the the, the best worst case scenario. The best worst case scenario, the the worst worst case scenario is it's 31-3 and it's a complete and total stomping and the Jets are back to the same old Jets again after a week. Best case scenario is they win. And I think all of them are possible to varying degrees. Yeah, it's really a grab bag of of outcomes that, that could happen. Yep. Uh, We will wait and see. I'm excited for this game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping we see a lot of new wrinkles uh, from both, both sides of the ball. I'm really hoping that the jets can find a way to overcome what I think is a coaching deficiency and let this, this talent and this team do what they do best, which is go out and play hard and play fast. So we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to watching the game, Matt. I know you are anything else you want to add in before we get out of here. Yeah. Let's just, you know, have fun. Just let's play the game. It's a game, guys. Let's just have fun. Yeah, the Jets are two and two in October. Who would have guessed? Yeah, exactly. This isn't a must-win game. I've seen some people say this is a must-win game. We need to get our first division game for Sala. I, I, we're not there yet to say this is must-win. Uh, let's just go out, have a good game, and we'll go from there. You're right. Play loose. Play fast. Play hard have fun, do what you do best, go in front of your home crowd and try and play the best as possible. And hopefully you'll come out on top. That's all you can do in the NFL. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, You can find me at Andrew golden underscore 17 on Twitter. You can also follow the show at OKD podcast. If you are so interested, Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell the people where they can find you, Uh, Matt, you could find me on Twitter at Zazzy jets. Well, thank you guys again so much for listening. This has been the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. We will be back next week to review the Dolphins game and look ahead to, is it Green Bay in week, uh, week six, correct? At Green Bay? Yep. All right, at Green Bay, a second week in a row of coaching staffs that know each other very well and, and are going to have some interesting wrinkles to have to see how that win's going to happen. The last time the Jets played in Green Bay, was that the Geno Smith uh, three-touchdown half game where Sheldon Richardson called a timeout on the sideline to cancel out a touchdown pass? Is that right? I, I have no concept. Have they the been time. to Green Bay since then? <laughs> I, I think, like wait, no. Darnold went to Green Bay once. I remember yeah. Darnold playing in Green Bay, and I think that might have been the last time they've played in Green Bay since. But I'll never get that that Geno Smith Green Bay game out of my head until the day I die. I think that's where Geno Smith Jets career ended. Not to go <laughs> off on too much of a tangent to, you know, to, to end the show here. But the second Sheldon Richardson called that timeout, it was over. Yep. Yep. That's yeah. just heartbreaking. Memories. Yeah, memory lane's always fun when you're a Jets fan, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much for listening again. Thank you for always for following along with the show, and we will be back next week to hopefully review a win. As I always say, I'm going to keep saying it every week and the few times that it does happen, hopefully more than a few times that it does happen. I'm always glad to start the next show by talking about it. Thank you guys again. We'll be back real soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.